Bruchim Aboyim B'Shem Hashem Berachnuchem Ve'ez Hashem Welcome to our weekly shir Wednesday shir Shabbos Shabbos Lil Nishmas Ruzlan Bas Shachon Chana And Ezra Nishmas Ezra This Shabbos is Pasha's boy. Pasha's boy, which is the Shabbos before Yud Shvat. Not always. Sometimes Bishalach is before Yud Shvat. This year, Shabbos Pasha's boy is the Shabbos before Yud Shvat. The mini Chabad for the men. The Rebbe writes that Yotzel of the previous Rebbe the Rebbe Rayats, and therefore it's an only apropos for each chosid to get maft, to get an aliyah on this Shabbos. Yeah, maft will be great, but to get an aliyah. There are the Menhagim of Yudshvat itself, going to the oil, etc. But right now, the Shabbos before, which is the, Sh- the Shabbos, that is basically the Minig. Obviously, it's the Shabbos of Fabrengans. And the Pasha's boy. It's not also Pasha's Bay, but it's Pasha's Bay, Shabbos Pasha's Bay. My grandson, I told, said last week, I believe, my grandson from Switzerland, the seven-year-old, told me that his, uh, he learned in Yeshiva, in his Cheder, that Vaida is Vov Aleph, which is six, uh, Vov is six and Aleph is one, and therefore seven, there are seven Makis in Boeda and Boy is Bay's Aleph, which is three. There are three markers in Boy. The last three of the ten markers is in Pasha's Boy. Amongst the three markers that are mentioned in this Pasha, we have the Arbe. Cheshach and Makas Bechereis. Locust, darkness, and the plague of the first, death of the firstborn. Obviously, <coughs> as all Makas, all the other Makas took place seven days, happened, for, kept, continued for seven days, the Makas Makas Bechereis was only a one shot deal. Sorry. And the Maka of Chishach only went six days. So, of course, the Farshim asked why it was only six days, not seven. We'll soon discuss it. Paroi shall we say to the least, is an interesting character. An interesting character in that he actually 
didn't couldn't learn his lesson. <laughs> he couldn't learn his lesson. He could not leave good enough alone. <coughs> In the beginning, of course, he said that he doesn't recognize God at all. Eventually, he slowly began to see that his magicians or whatever they were, astrologers or whatever, could not replicate what Mesha and Aaron were doing. So he obviously understood there's a higher source that is causing this to happen. Until... Being a firstborn himself, he was concerned that he too would die. And the side for which we know, the civil war that took place, the uprising by all the firstborn, when they heard that the next plague was they were going to die at midnight, they came to stage war with Pari. Said, get the Jews out of here, we don't want to die. Parai still remained with his pig-headed adamants, and the market took place, plague took place. Although there was literally a civil war and a battle. What was going on? When it says, Vayichazik Hashem Eslev Parai, God, God hardened the heart of Pari. Who is Pari? Who is Mitzrayim? Where is Mitzrayim? What is Mitzrayim? And so much so that Pari just could not learn his lesson that even when he sends the Jews out already, he goes and chases them as well and drowns in the Yamsuf, according to some opinions. According to one opinion, he came up and he he did tshuva. According to another opinion, we see later it says that Hillel Azok in the Mishnah Pekiyava says, Al when you wanted to do, you try to drown others and you ended up being drowned. That's referring to the, he saw the skull of Pari. You try to drown all the Jewish boys and you ended up being drowned. Also, we find in this parsha a very interesting commandment. Prior to the departure of Egypt, Hashem tells Moshe, tell the Jews to go to their Egyptian neighbors, friends, and ask to borrow gold and silver. Ultimately, we find the first mitzvah in the Torah, in this parish as well, the first mitzvah which is mentioned of Reish Chodesh. How every month, the first day of the month, is sanctified as the head of the month, Reish Chodesh. We want to sometimes say 
that the world is simply an optical illusion. And many different things that we experience, good or bad, are circumstantial, natural, not pointing to Nebuchadnezzar, not pointing to Hashem is Baruch. The Marshal Gibbon, which I've told before as well, of a king that wanted a new palace. And he petitioned artisans from throughout the world to build his new palace for him, state of the art. But he was very into art itself. And therefore, wanted his tremendously large throne room painted exquisitely with different mur- mur- murals on the, world, on the walls. However, he was a smart king. He hired four artists and said there are four walls in the room. Each one paint a different scene on their wall. And thereby enhancing the beauty of the room. And they were given several months. Artist one, two, and three would sit there day and night, put 16, 18 hours a day on painting the scene of the scenario on their wall. Each one to its own, each one to its own right. Artist four never showed up. He just never came. Occasionally he'd walk in, look at the wall, excuse me, look at the wall, measure. wasn't here. The other three artists were very, very, very upset. They were furious with him. He's literally going to ruin their own pictures. Because with one bare wall, it loses the, it becomes, the lack, it becomes lackluster. The luster of the entire ambiance of the entire room is based on all the walls having their own scenes. By one wall being bare, <coughs> it takes away. It dulls the, the, their own picture, their own petition, their own whatever the artwork they did. The day of reckoning came. And the king said he's going to make a contest out of this. He wants to reward according to the walls that they make. The king had to arrive about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The artists were furiously putting up the last touches, fixing and dotting all their I's and crossing all their T's. And artist number 4 shows up 10 o'clock in the morning after a good breakfast. And he picks up this big mirror, which 
covers exactly the entire wall which he had measured and glues it onto the wall. Now what do you think you see in this mirror? In this mirror you see the other three walls. What an exquisite reflection. What an exquisite exposition. How beautifully it enhances the room. Well, the king came into the room and noticed the tremendous amount of work that went into each each, arts, each artist's wall and noticed the trivial amount of work that went into Mr. Mirror's wall. And he said, this wall is magnificent. It has all three walls together. It is just unbelievable. You win the contest, you will get the most. He immediately asked the servant to bring three bags of 100,000 gold coins. And each artist had a little hook on their wall. He hung up on their hook one bag of 100,000 gold coins. Wall number one, two, and three. He turned to artist number four and said, Look, Ashrecha, how beautiful. You have on your wall three bags of gold hanging. Everybody only gets one, but you have three. Artist says, But, 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 I can't use that money. It's not real, it's only a reflection. Aha, said the king. You get what you worked for, my friend. You worked imaginary work, you get imaginary money. Lefum tsara agra. According to the amount of work we put into something, that's what we take out. Many of us work very, very hard at our jobs. Maybe I should exclude myself. Many of you work very hard at your jobs. <coughs> Nobody really feels appreciated. Nobody really feels the salary compensates the toil, the blood, sweat, and tears that you've put into your job. Unfortunately. But fact being, how many bosses could possibly pay what you deserve, what you earn? But we beg, we don't beg, we plead, we understand, we give to give, we give to understand, we have expenses, we have this, we have that. We have a family, we want to build a family, whatever it might be. We can't live, we can't sustain ourselves on what you're paying us. And therefore the person feels almost borderline disgruntled as a disgruntled employee. employee. Because they're not getting what they deserve. 
And the worst part is smoke and mirrors. The other person who comes along with the mirror and hardly puts their finger in cold water and they want and they enhance and they look like and they make it look like they've got it, they've got it all, they've done it all. You know what they get though? They may get a bigger salary, per se. They may get a bigger check. But ultimately, really, they're getting the same bags that are hanging in the wall. They're looking at this money and they're laughing all the way to the bank, as we say in America. But bottom line, It's not something that doesn't speak to me. Who wants to be a Shnora? You know what? Shnoras make a lot of money. They go around with their hands out. Today's day and age, they barely work out with their hands because they have this little thing on their knuckles, and the credit card. You can tap, you can slice, swipe, you can type in your number, everything... I, they don't take dimes and nickels and quarters anymore. Even the single dollar doesn't to speak to them any longer. Give me a credit card. Who doesn't give a credit card for $5, $10, And they make, they make, some of them, Rahman al are doing it for themselves. Some are doing it for a wedding. Sometimes they're doing it for Sakhashom, Rahman al some are not well. But then you have those people that are doing it forever. They usually are consistent with their story where they're collecting for poor people in Israel or collecting for this or for that. And they may be. It may be just so. And maybe they work on a commission. Maybe they work on a salary. Whatever they work on. But they get used to it. The humiliation... the humbling that comes about when you come to a person, the person says, no, I don't have, I can't give, I don't want to give. Not pleasant, to say the least. So why do you think, if you can get away with skimming on your job, passing it off to somebody else, why do you think your money is, what we call in Yiddish, erinst gedint, why don't you see is not blood money I'm not going to make it that severe but why do you feel that you deserve that why do you feel that that's money that's real that you should have in your pocket that you should be spending on your family you should be spending on your trips and on vacations you didn't really earn that money and someone else who did didn't doesn't have that money You lack A in the concept of Akara Satayv, recognition of somebody that does good. And we've seen throughout these last parshas a myriad of examples of Akara Satayv, including Meisha not even being able to hit the Yam, hit the Nilas, because he owed them a debt. Meisha 
owing a debt to Vatya therefore being called the name Moshe instead of the name that he was given by his bris etc etc different examples <coughs> and we see how ugly it is to be kofotevah deny good when the Pasuk tells us that this new king stood up in Egypt and he did not know Yosef excuse me, he did not know Yosef what do you mean you did not know Yosef how could you not know Yosef Yosef just saved your nation Yosef just did everything that pulled you out of, of, of poverty, of, of, of death you would have no food you have nothing to live off of if not for Yosef's ruling the country and all of a sudden, boom, Leodas Yosef. Can you imagine forgetting President Obama? He left a good mark, a big mark, and not forgetting him so fast. Not always you have to remember somebody in a positive way. But Yosef was, was the savior of the country. And yet, Leodas Yosef, the Kofutev, of the Egyptian Pari, whom we still have to figure out who that is, and the country of which he ruled, the land of Mitzrayim. How to be giving of oneself it was unconditional love giving of oneself and never for a moment looking back to give of oneself (coughs) in a way that the persons you're giving for doesn't feel an iota of discomfort doesn't feel an iota of pain the way you're giving it. If you're indeed giving it unconditionally, give unconditionally of oneself it's not simple and the worst part is when someone doesn't reciprocate if you're giving unconditionally, you don't care if the person doesn't reciprocate. But when the person resents, or the person spits in the person's face for it, very painful. <coughs>
beyond. Although, if one is indeed doing something unconditionally, it doesn't bother them really. They move on. It was a cold winter, and the old father, the young boy's son, had but one coat to share. And the father never said, I'm very cold, I'm getting older, I can't, I can't be without coat. And the young boy said, you're older and you can't work anymore, I have to go out into the field to work. I can't be out in the cold working without a coat. And they came to the Rav. And the Rav heard out their arguments. I can't, and I can't. I must have, I must have. The Rav heard them out. I guess if you want to be more animated in the story, he stroked his beard, and he said, let me think about it. Why don't you come back tomorrow and we'll think about it. I'll think about it overnight and we'll talk. Good. They go home. And the father, and says, no, I'll be cold. My son though, my child, he's out there in the frost and he has to work. And he's bringing us a panasa for us. He definitely needs to cope more importantly than I do. The son, middle of the night, is thinking, my father. He's an elderly man. Nebuch. How can I leave him to shiver in frost without a coat? I'm strong, I'm young, I'm active, I'm energetic. And half the time I'm working so hard I end up sweating. So I'll sweat a little less because I won't have a coat on. I can't take my father's coat. And they came back in the morning to the Rav, unbeknownst one to the other, what their decisions were. And as they walked into the Rav, the father picks up the coat and says, My kind, my son, I decided last night you have to have the coat. And the father and the son says, Tata, I decided last night I can never take the coat away from you. At which time the Rav said, hold on one minute, he walked out of the room, and he came back in carrying a coat. <coughs> he said, here, here's a second coat, there's no longer a question. They looked at him and he said, Rebbe, if you were going to give us a coat, why didn't you do it last night? <coughs> why did you make us wait overnight to think about what? And the Rav said, Last night you came to me. You were both very selfish. You were both worried about yourself. I need what's being done for me. Today, you came ready to do for another. You were ready to give up the comfort, the warmth, that the other should have it. Now that you're ready to do for another, now you're befitting for me 
to feel the same way and to want to do for another. Last night, the air over here was me. It was all about me. What can I get? Now the air has changed. The air is about you. What can I do for you and how can I help you? I also feel the same camaraderie and therefore I'm giving this coat. This is the unconditional feeling of one's giving to another. The respect, the reverence, the mutual understanding they have. To respect person's space, privacy, air, capacity, boundaries, borders, all these expressions that I used. To expect, to respect it, to revere it, to honor it, and thereby earning this for yourself as well. And therefore, Hashem says, "Boil pare." Come to pare. It should be lech el pare. Go to pare, like he's been saying till now. Why is he saying now, "Boil pare"? Come to pare. HaGadosh Baruch Hu is telling Moshe and Adam, I am there already, I'm by Pare. I want you to come here now to me, by Pare. Who is Pare? Who is Mitzrayim? What is Mitzrayim? Tavshin Pei Gimel, how does this apply to us? First, let us examine the ninth plague. As we said, the ninth plague was the Makas Choshech, darkness. And we asked the question why was the, de- the ninth plague only six days instead of seven days, when all the other Makas were in seven days? And according to some opinions, it's because when the Yidin left Mitzrayim, they had the Ananiya covered with them, the clouds of glory, which by night illuminated and by day cleared the path and protected from the sun. However, when the Egyptians came to chase them, Technically, they should have seen the Jews, no problem, because they were lit up. Tells us, Farshim, that no. When they came to chase the Jews, they were smitten with that seventh day. That seventh day of darkness hit them at that point. And therefore, they saw nothing. Teretah describes to us this plague. This darkness, this veil of darkness enveloped and closed the entire land of Egypt for three days. One did not see their brother, 
one did not stand up from their place for three days. However, for the Jews, there was light in their dwellings. So as we said before, they did not see their brother. That's what causes the ultimate darkness. When one only sees themselves in the mirror, they only see everything as a reflection of them, and it's all about me, that's when darkness is the worst. When do we see the light? When do we get this beautiful inspiration of light from HaKadosh Baruch Hu? When we see our brothers, Ro Esachiv. And the Madrash explains there were two miracles here. Which basically intertwine one with the other. There was an unnatural darkness which literally planted, planted the Egyptians in their places. They could not move. On the other hand, there was a beautiful, miraculous light by which the Jews were able to continue their lives. This light was not a normal, regular light. This light they were able to take into the Egyptian home and see where they hid all their riches, all their treasures. So when the time came to leave Mitzrayim, and the Jews asked the Egyptians to let them, to lend them their gold and their silver, as it says in the Pasuk, we spoke about before, the Mitzrayim could not say, I don't, I don't have any. Because the Jews said, I know exactly where it is. And if you don't know you have it, then I'll go take it myself. Because you obviously don't know you own it. This miraculous light came about so that the Jews can complete, can fulfill the promise of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to Avraham Avinu when he told him about the Golos Mitzrayim, which therefore, according to the opinions, started way back then, and therefore the servitude was that much less physically, because officially it started those couple of years before, hundred years before. Then when the Jews left Mitzrayim, Yotzu Berechush Kodol, they left with a tremendous amount of riches. Therefore, Kadosh Baruch Hu commands Moshe Rabbeinu, but Esau should ask from their neighbors, the Egyptians, and garments. This miraculous light that the Jews experienced during the Makkah of Cheshach was also there to refrain and to hide to, to reveal and to, re, to reveal and all that was hidden mm-hmm. in the houses of the Egyptians. And with this light, the Jews merited to take out all the things that the Egyptians owned. As the Kodesh Baruch says, we need saltimus mitzrayim. Clean them out. Rashi explains 
שירקנו איסון, כל הכסף, כל הזוב שבו. When a Jew amasses such riches, one needs to examine what they are for. One needs to properly appropriate what they are being given, what they are being blessed with. Obviously, this gold and the silver was given. So they should have enough to donate for the Mishkan that was going to be built in the desert. That's the case. Their whole Aveda here was to amass and to prepare in order to serve God better. What happens though when we don't think of it properly? When we allow ourselves to understand and to think I have Egyptian treasures. I have it in my, in my possession. I don't have in mind to have them for holy causes or purposes. Then we have a result, Rahman al-Islam, the golden calf, which originally Aaron told the Jews to go get the gold and silver from the wives, and they would be thrown into the fire. The men knew very well the women were not giving them anything, and therefore they took their gold and silver, which they had appropriated for holy purposes, which was another part of the part and parcel of the sin of the golden calf. They allowed the Mitzrayim to come with them. Chassidus explains, this physical riches, these physical riches, wealth, treasures, which B'nai Yisrael took out of Egypt, is also a reflection of this spiritual treasure that they took with them. The very, very holy sparks from the highest of levels that were totally entrenched, soaked, buried within Mitzrayim, within the impurities of Mitzrayim. However, during the time of the servitude in Mitzrayim, the exile in Mitzrayim, B'nai Yisrael were able to and capable of redeeming these sparks and elevating them to godliness. Therefore we see Zakaj Baruch helps out in a miraculous way to bring about this Geula, the redemption of also of these holy sparks, until so much so 
that he ceased to make the special miracle that Bnei Yisrael, Lachol Bnei Yisrael Haya to the Jews, each one was light in their homes. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave this special light that was able to go into the deepest and the depth and the, da- the darkest holes of Egypt and to take out from there the riches, the rechush, which needed to be redeemed, referring to, of course, the sparks that were there. Mitzrayim represents all our Goliaths. And therefore, when it talks about the journeys in the desert, and it refers about the journeys of the Jews leaving Egypt, the simple question begs to be asked. It was only one journey out of Egypt. We spoke about this many times. You walked out of the border of Egypt. You were out of Egypt. The rest of your journey was towards Matera, was towards Israel, whatever it was, Israel, whatever it was, but it wasn't out of Egypt any longer. You were out of Egypt. You can't leave Egypt if you're outside. But yet, each journey was considered a journey away from Egypt. Mitzrayim, the word Mitzrayim, which is the, the, the Terah word for Egypt, also reads Mitzorim restrictions boundaries of which we unfortunately lock ourselves into and once we lock ourselves into we lock out a lot of other things that shouldn't be locked out spiritual holiness And then comes the king himself, the Parai. According to many opinions, the king of Egypt is always referred to as a pharaoh. And therefore, Parai meant the king. It didn't necessarily mean his name. Within our personal Mitzrayim, our personal Golos, we have that Parai running around, that Yetzirah that pounds away and that keeps getting his heart his heart hardened can't come to terms with the Jews serving God can't accept the fact that the Jews God forbid <laughs> God forbid that the Jews are serving a Baruch Hu. <coughs> considered himself a deity and the Nilus and the cows, whatever else he kept. <coughs> this party lives within us. <coughs> as long as we are an exiled person, or known as a Golis Yid, as long as we consider ourselves comfortable, complacent, within our Golis, and we say, this is my lot. I'm happy. I'm accepting it. I'm good with it. This is my lot. No. No. 
one cannot say I'm I'm happy, I have enough, I'm a good place, I'm good. One needs to understand their lot, their existence has to be the way of Hashem. <coughs> Not allow yourself to be in the mitzorim and the restraints of the gullus. Definitely not let Pare dictate how we should act, live, and behave. We should act towards our fellow brothers, sisters. How we should act with the Torah words and, li- and ways of life. We in our goals are looking to work on with tremendous Mercedes Nefesh, of course, the redemption of the holy sparks that are still remaining in this world. And by every Jew involving themselves, the Shem Shemayim, even the worldly things that they're doing, but they have in mind they're doing this for God's godly sake, within whatever they're doing, they have for service of Hashem, they elevate them to the holiness and to the source. To this, the Tera implies, even the Jew, which is still totally drenched, drenched and entrenched in the Golos, in his Eretz Mitzrayim, before the Gula has yet to reveal itself, HaKadosh Baruch Hu still shows them miracles and helps them in their work and their service to Hashem. And even when the Chishech Yechase Eretz Varofel Umim, as it's the Pesach in Yeshaya, the darkness totally covers and totally envelops again like a blanket over each and every one of the nations, says the Novi to us, Alayich Yizrach Hashem, a new Hashem is shining. And therefore this is the Erb Meshvesam, the light in their dwelling, which HaKadosh Baruch Hu imparts on each and every Jew. Thereby helping the Jew to prepare himself with Simcha Tuv Levov, to be Mekabal Pnei Mashiach Tzidkenu of Mamash. And as we find ourselves each struggling with our own trials and tribulations, whatever we may be going through, whether it be a mental or physical ailment, Rahman al-Islam, or something that looks like a grim picture, Rahman al-Islam, and we don't even want to hear anymore, We've, we've been fed, we've been drowned, we've been drenched with all the words of, of chizuk and happiness and joy and ifdoz Hashem simcha and everything else. We're choking from it already. We feel and we find and we hear that our situation is not good, Rahman al-Tsan. Something 
within us or something that we have done or something that's going and I can't fix that Sokhtun stated there's no such thing the air the light that HaKadosh Baruch gave to shine upon us is above everything that our Pari and our Melech Mitzrayim our Eretz Mitzrayim can hold us back from and cause us to be restrained easier said than done but we need to rise above it all and we need to reach out for the branch and pull ourselves in and persevere and push ahead and forge ahead so that we merit to see the open miracles that are there for us as we said before the first mitzvah Taylor is commanded Kiddush HaKedush sanctifying the new month this month is the first for all the years months of the years Taylor commands the Jews to establish the concept of Reish every month when they see the birth of the new moon. And Bezden is Mekadish Reish Sanctifies it. The fact that this is the first mitzvah that was given to Yisrael teaches us according to the words of Rashi as we see in the beginning of the Torah The words of Rabbi Yitzchak, where he asks, "Why Hashem Madua Teira Niftecha B'Sipur Abriya for the Mitzvah Why does the Teira begin with the creation of the world, etc., instead of this first mitzvah? And the etzim of this question shows us the value of this mitzvah. The main essence of the Jew, of the mitzvahs of the Torah, is to capture the holiness of godliness within the worldly realm and in the worldly belongings. And we make do mitzvahs with physical existence for physical things Alul Vanesik Meneda Neda Shabbos Kedish the mitzvahs that we do we elevate these things these physical creations what does mitzvahs Kedish HaKedish bring about sanctifying the new month it's a time frame a time capsule but what do we find within this mitzvah we take a regular mundane weekday as we did this past Monday and we turn it into Rishchidosh a day that has a special sanctity within it as Bezden decides to establish this special day, particular day for Rishchidosh, he brings it about into many different things at the time. 
and he takes this regular mundane day and turns it into a concept of capsule of Kedusha. Many have a custom to light a candle on a Shchidish. Many have a custom to wash and to have a Sudas Shchidish. It's a Shchidish. It's only, it's, it's borderline yomtiv. We say, Hal, it's Tavon Musaf. In this point, in the midst of Kiddush HaChidish, we have something extra in all the other mitzvahs. By all mitzvahs, it only goes into a certain boundary of existence. And there's different levels. Some things that are made literally Tashmish Kedusha, and then we take a stalk of wheat a simple stalk of wheat a simple fruit from a tree and we make it for a bracha we make it for something that we can make a blessing over to enhance our Shabbos to enhance our Yom and we put the sanctity into this. Because we do it the Shem Shemayim. Mitzvah Kiddush HaChedesh, on the other hand, <coughs> has an effect on all the broad scope of time. When Bezdin's Kaveya this particular day, this affects the entire month. And in fact, because it affects the month, it affects the entire year. The entire cycle of the year is affected by each Shchedish making another month. And when another month of other has to be added, a leap year, also done through Bezin, also to keep the cycle of the world in check. What's so important about doing this? We can't control time. We cannot, we the human being, cannot stop time. Even if you stop your clock, and even if you unplug the clock from the wall, you didn't stop time. You also can't make a minute more than 60 seconds or less than 60 seconds. You also can't make the 60 seconds happen faster than 60 seconds. Or to make it slower than 60 seconds. Today's day and age, when you have a voice note, you can put it on two speed. And you listen to the person and for those people that have good hearing and understand these people's gibberish, they get it right away. They understand it right They don't have to listen to it in regular monotone of the way the person's talking, but rather listen to it in the faster speed and you get it over with. But you didn't change the time. It no longer takes an hour, a minute and a half to listen to that voice note. It takes you only maybe half a minute, or whatever it takes, but the fact is though, still wasted, used a half a minute the half minute was still a half a minute 
you may now have another minute of your own on your own for yourself but you didn't make that minute and a half disappear it didn't dissipate because you listened in a half a minute so therefore equal to everyone but still in all HaKadosh Baruch gives to the Jew a special Kayach to sanctify time and to make Jewish time. No, it doesn't mean you have to come an hour late. It becomes, this time is now a, a time of Yiddishkeit. This time is now sanctified for Kfiyas Itim, for learning Teda, doing a mitzvah. By conquering the Zman, conquering the time, we speed up the conquering of the world. We bring it all under the kingship of holiness until so much so that we conquer again as a soul physically, Kipshuta, with the coming of Mashiach, Tzidkenu, and he will also bring Yidin from all over the world who return Sanhedrin to Yerushalayim and again they will sanctify the Dini of Kiddush HaChedish they will renew the Dini of Kiddush HaChedish and will merit to the Geula HaMitis Vashleim HaBimheira V'yameinu Mamish and it will be this very Shabbos and we wish everybody Shabbat Shalom